Amen. Amen. You can be seated. As you find your seat, I want to invite you to uh, take out a copy of God's Word. Um, if you don't have a, a Bible with you, you can uh, use one that we have for you. You'll find one underneath one of the seats in front of you, and uh, that is um, the ESV translation, which I'll be preaching out of this morning, and so it helps to kind of follow along and see. We're going to look at a lot of verses, so I'd love for you to get that in your lap and to uh, see that yourself. If you don't own a copy of Scripture, you are welcome to take that home with you. That's our uh, gift to you, and uh, what we're going to do this morning is we are going to open God's Word, and we're going to hear from Him. That's something we do each week, every week with anticipation as part of our service, part of our worship. We open up the Bible and we read it and we ask the question of God, what would you have for us today? What are you teaching us today from your word? And so that's what we're going to do now. Uh, we're going to be in the book of John. We're continuing in a series that's taking us the better part of a year. And we're going to walk through this gospel. We're walking through this gospel together. And we're getting to see the life of Jesus. And the way that we're experiencing the life of Jesus is through uh, the eyes of one of his closest earthly friends named John. And so John writes with a singular purpose in mind. He wants to convince us of something. John is writing to convince us that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Savior, that he's the Christ. And that in seeing that and believing that, that we will find life in his name. And so every passage, every week, every time that we open up the book of John, we have the opportunity, whether you have received this life before or you are searching for it now, you have the opportunity to receive life in his name by being reminded again of who Jesus is and what he's declared and what he has for us this morning. And so that is my hope, my desire for us this morning. And one of the things that's a huge theme that we've seen time and time again, and we're going to continue to encounter in the book of John, is this theme around belief. Belief, the things that we hold to, the things that we uh, believe in and trust in. And so many here believed in uh, uh, Jesus and the words and things that he was saying. Uh, if you've been with us for the last couple weeks, I can catch you up if you've missed it, but we've been following Jesus at this festival. It's the Festival of Booths or Tabernacles, and it's one of the three pilgrimage festivals where the people of Israel traveled to Jerusalem, and they remember and reflect on God's provision to his people uh, through as they traveled in the wilderness and leading them into the land that he promised. And so what we see in this festival is there were some signs and some things that, um, that were done, these ceremonies, that one was a water ceremony, the other was a light ceremony. And in the midst of the water ceremony, Jesus says, come to me all who are thirsty and I will satisfy you. I will um, give you the drink that you need. In the middle of the light ceremony, he declares that, that he is the light and that all who follow him will leave the darkness and will have the light of life. And that's what we looked at last week. We kind of dug into what does it mean to follow Jesus as the light of the world and kind of from the positive perspective. But if you were with us last week, you know that we kind of went quickly through uh, the, uh, the chapter eight, kind of that whole chapter. We had a lot to kind of get through and trying to do it. But I wanted you to see all of it kind of at the same time. What I'd love to do this morning is I want to kind of go back to chapter eight again and go a little bit slower through the second half of it because I think like there's still some meat on the bone, Okay. Um, whenever my kids are eating chicken wings, I'm always like looking at it and trying to evaluate. I'm like, hey, you left a little meat on that bone there. Why don't you go back and, and get that? 
Or if, 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 if you know, if, if I'm really hungry, we're running low, I might finish off that meat on the bone. You know, I'm not above that, okay? I'm not, uh, that's, uh, that's totally, that's, that's how it, I roll sometimes um, in my house. I don't think I'll do it with you if we're going out for wings or anything, but with my kids, I'm totally good with that. But here's the thing, we left some meat on the bone. And so I want us to see a little bit more about what Jesus was trying to instruct here in chapter 8. And in this chapter, in this, um, in this discourse that he's having, he is talking to these, the, the Jewish people that have gathered, and it says here that many of them have believed. In verse, um, in verse 30, it says, as he was saying these things, it says, many believed in him. Verse 31 of chapter 8, it says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Now, here's the thing about belief in John, in the Gospel of John. There is genuine, authentic, true belief which leads to light, life and the light of Christ. But what we also see in the book of John is we see that there is at times an insincere, fleeting, sort of manufactured belief, if you will, that Jesus often confronts. And what John, the, the gospel writer John here, is identifying for us is that is the type of belief that these Jewish leaders, primarily, but also sort of the crowd, this Jewish crowd has here, is it sort of this fleeting kind of manufactured belief? Because based on the words that he says, he is calling them to a true belief, to a genuine belief. And oftentimes, I don't know if you're like me, I like to look at the positive, like what should I do? And, and it's less fun to kind of look at the negative of like what do I need to avoid? But the reality is scripture, the Bible, has both. There's things that on the positive side that it's calling me to. So that's kind of what we looked at last week. We said, what does it look like to follow? And we sort of unpack the positive side of if you're following Jesus, it looks like this. Well, I believe that one of the very big themes here um, in this passage is um, not just from the positive, but it's also from the negative. There's a warning. Scripture is filled with many warnings. It's telling me the things not to do, the things that I need to avoid. And so this morning, I just want to tell you that the, the, the passage we're looking at and the theme of it is a warning. And so we need to receive it as such, that it's, it's, hey, don't be careful, don't do that, or make sure you avoid that. Warnings are really good, right? Like, like if, if, if there's something that, you know, a pan just came out of the oven and you don't know that, it, hey, that's really hot, don't touch that, right? Um, hey, that road's closed, don't go that way. Uh, hey, there's, I mean, there's so many things that we can say that are super helpful that we wanna be warned at. This is a helpful thing for us this morning. Jesus is warning us of maybe some pitfalls, some, some kind of roads that we could go down that we should end in a place that we don't want to know. And so what we're going to see, the kind of theme of it, the sermon title this morning is failing to follow. Because what he's calling these out to is he's, he's trying to encourage genuine belief, but he's also casting doubt in the insincere manufactured belief, which is expressed in this failure to follow Jesus truly. Again, in verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the inverse is true. If you walk in, if you follow the light of Christ, if you follow Jesus as the light, it leads you out of darkness. The opposite is true, and that is our big idea this morning, that failing to follow Jesus means remaining in the darkness. That we are darkened in our understanding. We are in the darkness of this world, and Jesus came to bring light, and by following him, we move into the light, out of the darkness. Failing to follow means that we remain in the darkness. And so I think the warnings that we have this morning is this, is what does it look like to fail to follow Jesus? If we fail to follow, what does that 
look like. I want to show you this in God's words. Let's jump into it if we can, just beginning in verse 31. It says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Some of you have heard that phrase. You had no idea where it came from. It's right here. Jesus said it. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And so here's the first way that we fail to follow, and the people were failing to follow Jesus. It's this. They failed to receive God's freedom. They failed to receive the freedom that Jesus was offering. Notice what he says here. He says, if you abide in my word, that is, if you remain in my word, if you stay close to my word, if you follow my word, you will so prove to be my disciples. It's not that, that that's the way that you become. It's that that's what disciples do. A disciple abides in his word. He says, you know, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But notice what they did. They answered. They're like, wait, wait, how can we be free? We've never been slaves. You see that there? Verse 33. We are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. See, I think part of the reason that the people of, that, that Jesus was interacting with didn't know or didn't know that they needed to be free, failed to receive the freedom that Jesus was offered, is they didn't know that they were enslaved. That's kind of the confusion that they're having here. They're like, we're the children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved, which is kind of interesting if you think about it, because at the time when Jesus was, was there, they were waiting upon a, what they thought was a political Messiah, a political savior to come and to throw off the rule of Rome and, and sort of the oppression and, 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 and the, um, uh, the regulating kind of powers they were under with Rome. Like they very much were under Rome's domain and dominion. They weren't this kind of free nation. Um, they were very much part of uh, the, the Roman Empire, in, as it were. Uh, before that, there had been many times where they had been invaded by, by foreign uh, entities, right? Babylon was one that came and took and hauled people away and, and put them into slavery. If you want to go even further back, it's so interesting that they would say that they've never been enslaved because they're at a festival, which is literally celebrating the way that God freed his people from the bondage, from the enslavement in Egypt and led them to a free place, to a land that they uh, could live under him. And so they're saying, hey, who, we've never been enslaved to anyone. And maybe what they mean is like they've never been in chains. They've never been sort of shackled. They have kind of a shallow view of it. But Jesus clarifies what he's saying here. He's saying, no, no, you have to first understand that you have in fact been enslaved. Notice what he says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. That's kind of like you snap in his, he's like, hey, listen up, heads up, look up here, right? All of your heads just kind of snapped up. Sorry, I wasn't trying to... <laughs> Sorry, that was a little aggressive, not trying. I'm just like, that's what he's saying. He's like, hey, look up here, listen. Truly, truly, I say to you, don't miss this. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. He's like, if there is sin in you, you are a slave to sin. And the reality is, is that there is sin in all of us. All of us have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God, which means that all of us are born 
into bondage. We are born into the captivity, the enslavement of sin. And so he's saying, listen, if you say that you have no sin or you say that you are not enslaved to sin, you are kidding yourself. You don't understand. You're not understanding this. He's offering them not like a physical freedom. He's offering them spiritual freedom. He's offering them the opportunity to loose the bonds, loose the shackles of the spiritual enslavement that they are in and to experience true, lasting, spiritual freedom in him. Notice what he says. This is the slave does not remain in the house forever. What does that mean? Well, the slave gets could get you know, traded or, or sold or, or you know, the, the house might change, but the son is, is kind of a son forever, right? The son remains forever. So if the son comes into the picture and the son sets the slave free, well, then you are free indeed. And that's what he's saying. He's like, listen, the son is here and the son is offering to set you free. I know that you're the offer, offspring of Abraham, Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father. You do what you've heard from your father. See, they're practicing what has been passed down from generations. They're doing the same thing that their fathers did and their fathers before them. They're living and practicing in sin. And he's like, I came here to break the bondage of sin. So the first thing is we have to understand the place that we are in. And oftentimes we want to convince ourselves that we are truly free right? Like in so many ways, I think our world, our culture, us, we are chasing after freedom. And we have kind of a messed up perspective on what true freedom really is. See, there's a, there's a message that the kind of world is espousing that I think if we're not careful that we buy into and that we participate in as well. One of the phrases of the day, sort of the sayings that we hear um, these days is that um, maybe you've heard this, right? Hey, you do you, Right? Like, if, if that makes you happy, if that's what floats your boat, if that's what you want to do, like, you do you, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise, right? Another phrase that we hear is like, hey, live your truth. If that's what your truth is, like, go for it. Live it. Like, you've got it. Like, that's, if that's what, that's what freedom is, is living your truth. There's other quotes and things that I found as I'm kind of looking, like, what's, you know, what are things that are being said or sort of espoused? One said, be true to yourself and speak your truth even if it means you're the only one doing it. Or here's another one. Success is nothing more than living your life according to your own truth and your own terms. Right? I think there's an understanding, again, that I think we can buy into, that in order to be free, it means that I can do whatever I want to do. If my heart wants it, then I'm going to get it. And if I can get it, if I can take it, then that is what it means to be free. But the reality is, is that's not, we don't apply that rule everywhere, right? Like there's plenty of places that we're perfectly content to accept some laws or some regulations around that limit our freedom. Let me give you some examples. Um, I think, for example, like some of us may have a strong desire maybe to be truly free. We would love to be able to just fly. I, I, man, since I was a kid, I would love to fly. I watch birds and I'm like, how cool would that be to just be able to fly? Like, I'm not talking getting like a plane or strap on one of those jetpack things or something like that. I'm talking about like, I just want to fly. But the reality is that we all live in a world like this, this planet has something called gravity. And so as much as I might want to be free or it would be truly just wonderful, like me being me would be to, to go and try and fly. Like if I jump off something high or try and pass over some great chasm or something and ignore the law of gravity, it's not going to end well for me, 
right? We understand that. So we're, we're perfectly content to be like, yeah, I, do, I am free, but I, I exist in a certain set of like laws and things that sort of regulate that. Similarly, uh, maybe you want, you have desire to go and see like what is under that water. Maybe not Lake Monona or Mendota or something like that. That's a little gross. But like, you know, maybe, maybe if you're in a little bit cleaner water or sort of, um, uh, you know, maybe you're up at Devil's Lake, it's a little bit better. Or maybe down in like the Caribbean or some coral reef or something like that. You want to go under, you want to see what's under the water. I think you understand that there's only so long that you have in and of yourself, apart from some equipment that, you know, you need oxygen. That's a law that you're perfectly content to live within and you're not trying to push the bounds of that. You know how you were made and you know that true freedom is not to throw off the bondage of oxygen, right? And then just kind of go and do you under the water and kind of like just live your truth there under that water. That's not gonna end well for you, right? Similarly, like I've got a little fish at home. Um, We've got a fish in our home, a little betta fish. His name is Winston. He's lived way longer than we thought he would way longer than we hoped he would, okay? Like, I don't change that take nearly as often as he should, but, but man, that little guy, he's just kind of kicking and going. But here's the thing is when that tank does get changed, like he wants to get out of that water. I don't know where he thinks he's going, but he's like just flapping and kind of going. He thinks that the best thing for him at that moment is to try and like jump. And the reality is that for him to be truly free, like him jumping out of the tank does not lead to freedom in his life. Right? He's not going to last too long out of that water. He needs to be in the water to be truly free. I would go on to argue, speaking of Lake Monona, that he's way more free in the tank that's in my daughter's bedroom than he would be if he was to go and swim in Lake Monona. Like That's not going to last very long for him. I don't think he's going to handle the cold too well. I don't think he's going to handle predators. Like He's pretty content to sit right there. He knows when that little flap gets opened and those little pellets drop in, like, Dinner's coming, right? He comes for it. He loves that little thing. And that's like the most that we kind of interact with that little guy. But like he's free in that moment, right? Like that's the best life that he's living there. And that's the best place for him to be. See, here's the thing. I think sometimes I use some kind of silly examples to say, I think sometimes we fail to see or we think that us being free is living outside of the bonds of how we were made. Like for example, I think when it comes to our stuff, that if we're not careful that the liar or sort of the thing that we believe is that for us to amass or sort of accumulate things or, or have the, you know, whether it's the toys or the money or the, 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 the house or the, 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 the apartment or the furniture or the car or whatever it is, the things that we have are going to satisfy and sort of make us content. But the reality is, is that uh, Jesus, this is in Acts 20, 35, it says, in all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, the reality is that it is better for us to be generous with what we have than to be selfish and hoarding with what we have, right? And generosity is how we are able to truly experience the blessing of, of like what our stuff is. It's intended to, 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 to be able to serve and to bless Others And so sometimes we look outside of the bonds of this and we try and um, satisfy ourselves by, by doing our thing in our way and we fail to be generous with what we have. Similarly, let me kind of use another example. Uh, those of you in the room that are married, uh, you made a covenant. And part of that covenant was that you were going to, to be with and to find your, um, your, your satisfaction, your partnership, your companionship within this marriage relationship. And how many times, right, I've seen this happen so many times. It's, if we're honest, right, there's been 
places that, that we know of, things that we have experienced or that others that we know have experienced where we've seen people go outside of the bounds of marriage to seek that which they thought would make them feel more free. Right? Like marriage is not some shackle. It's actually very freeing to live within the covenant of the marriage relationship and to receive all that God has intended through marriage there. Yet what do we tell ourselves? That that affair, that, 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 that flirtatious sort of uh, relationship, the, the kind of whatever, that there's other things outside of it that will make us more happy than the marriage that we have. See, here's what I believe the truth that Jesus teaches, the truth, the truth of scripture is this, is that true freedom, you can write this down if you're taking notes, true freedom is not doing what we want to do, but what we were made to do. I think that what we want to do oftentimes will get us pretty hurt or in a spot that we're not necessarily looking for. So as much as I might want to fly, as much as I might want to go underwater, that's not ultimately what makes me truly free. What makes me truly free is to live within the confines, the bounds of how I was made to live. What Jesus is saying to the people here, Jesus is saying that true freedom They are in sin. They don't even understand. But to truly be free means to live as God intended, to live according to his law, to his ways, to his statutes, to his plan. He's calling out this practice of sin. He's saying, listen, you are slaves to sin, and I have come to set you free. And that's the truth. That's the encouraging word that scripture has for us this morning is that if you are in Christ, you have been set free. If you are not in Christ, then you are still in bondage. But let me tell you, the good news of the gospel is that Christ came to set you free. He came to set captives free. How do we experience this freedom? Where do we find this? Well, we find it right here. It says in verse 31, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth of who God is, the truth of what Jesus did, the truth of what that means for me, the truth of the gospel, that is the truth that will truly set me free. Once we know what we were made for, who we were made by, once we understand that, then we begin to experience true freedom. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, our world is seeking freedom in all the wrong places, in all the wrong ways. And that's not just a world thing, that's an us thing too. We buy into it and we convince ourselves that there is freedom outside of Jesus and what he has offered us and what he is calling us to. And so how did they fail to follow? Well, they failed to receive the freedom that God was offering. It's true freedom, real freedom. Freedom from the captivity of sin. Well, how do they, else do they fail to follow? Let's continue on and we'll see it next. Look at verse 39. It says, they answered him, Abraham is, not, is, is our father. Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, then you would be doing the works that Abraham did. If you're truly Abraham's kids, then you're going to act like Abraham. Well, who was Abraham? Abraham was a man of faith. He looked at the world around him and he understood um, that they weren't following after God. And so God came to him and he called him out and he gave him a purpose and a plan. And Abraham responded with great faith. And so he's like, you would respond like Abraham, but you're not doing that. Verse 40 What are you doing? Well, now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We're not illegitimate children. 
kind of like, I think a little bit of like, wink, wink at you. Like, hey, what about you, Jesus? Like, we know your story. Like, you're saying you don't know who our dad is. Well, who's your dad, right? Like, what's your story? John's kind of getting at, like, he does this all the time. It's kind of subtle. Like, they ask these questions, and the truth is, is like, yeah, <laughs> scripture says Joseph was not, um, in, in the sense of like, that we understand, it wasn't like, he was raised by Joseph, but, but, but Jesus was born of a virgin, right? And so, like you say, hey, we know that, that, that they're your story. What's, what's up with that? We're not born of sexual matter. We have one father, even God. But Jesus calls him on this. He says, if God were your father, then you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. He's like, you want to know how I know you're not God's children? It's because you don't love me. You're not listening to me. You're not following me. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do the father's desires. Whoa, these are fighting words, okay? He's like, he's like Jesus, it seems like he's pretty intense. He is. He's being pretty intense right now. Saying you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do his desires, right? He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar, and he's the father of lies. But I tell you the truth. He's like, I'm not lying like him. I'm telling you the truth. And you do not believe me. You're not believing the truth. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is here is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you are not of God. The second way that they failed to follow is this. They failed to obey God's words. They failed to receive God's freedom and now they're failing to obey God's words. Notice what he says. He says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. He says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. And we explained this last week, right? It's not just hearing, kind of listening. It's hearing and responding. It's doing as a result of that. It changes who we are. It results in action. That's what true heal- hearing is. It uh, results in obedience And so his point is, what did Abraham do? Abraham responded in obedience, in faith, to a God in a time when nobody else was. And he's saying, he's like, you're just like your fathers. God has sent prophet after prophet after prophet. The Old Testament is full of all this prophetic literature, prophets that came. Why did they come? Well, they came to God's people to warn them on God's behalf. They spoke the words of God to them. And what happened? Well, many of them were rejected. They were mocked. They were ridiculed. Some of them were beaten. Some of them were imprisoned. Some of them were even killed. What did God's people do with God's prophets? Well, they didn't listen. They didn't heed the warnings. And in failing to heed the warnings, they they were taken into exile. Like that was the warning that was given. Hey, relent, repent, stop, turn around, go the other way. They failed to do it. And Jesus is calling him, saying, hey, you're doing it now. You're failing to obey the words that I came. I came bringing truth. And what are you doing? You're believing lies and rejecting the truth. And so here's where I kind of wonder today is like, where are the things where I am failing to obey the words that God has spoken? I know we talked last week from the positive sense, but this week I'm kind of wondering again, like, where are we failing to obey What is it that God has called us to do that we're not doing? Because his word is full of instruction and things that he wants us to do. Truly following him means that we hear and respond and we do the things that he's called us to do.
One of the passages I think of, we look at this in step two all the time, but it's 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 8 through 11. It talks about some things that we're called to as his followers to do. It says this, it says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So we're to love, we're to show hospitality. Then it goes on to say, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. He's like, as you serve, it's not even your words, it's not even your strength. You're speaking with God's words, you're, speaking with, you're serving with God's strength. Why? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, one of the things, church, that God has called us to as his disciples, as his followers, as we follow the light of life, as we follow him out of darkness, he has called us to steward the gifts that he's given us to serve one another, to show Love, covering a multitude of sins, to show hospitality to each other, to serve within the body of Christ and to the watching world, to this community that we live in. How are we doing with that? Are we serving with everything that he's equipped us with and all that he's called us to? Or if we're honest today, are some of us failing to do the things that he's called us to do? You see, it's not just enough to say, yes, I believe, yes, I'm following. See, a true follower obeys the word of God, does the things that God has called us to do. And so I just kind of wonder, you know, what is God calling you to do? What is it that he's instructed that we're failing to live on, to act out, to do? One of the most convicting verses that I found personally around this topic is James 4.17. It says this, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And just like real time, kind of, Let's just be honest with each other. How many of us last week, as we talked about obedience and obeying simple, humble obedience, doing the things God's called us to, how many of us maybe felt the conviction of the Spirit? Sometimes that kind of comes like a little tapping on our shoulder, like, hey, hey, I'm talking to you right now. Like, you need to do this, right? How many of us heard, experienced the Spirit leading us, saying, hey, you gotta follow, and then how many of us failed to do it? What James 4.17 is super clear about is that when we fail to do that which we know we should do, it's sin. We're missing it. We're missing it. This is what Jesus is calling. He's looking at these religious people. Listen, they were good people. They were or good people. They were religious people. They knew and they were believing, but they weren't hearing. And the parable that Jesus says in a different place, that he kind of shares in a different place, is that parable that we've maybe heard before. But it talks about the difference between true hearing and responding, and then just hearing or listening and then failing to respond. See, when we are of God, if we are following the light, then when we hear, we respond to God's words. Matthew chapter seven records for us um, this parable. It says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew, beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus said, this is like the person that hears and does right, who obeys. On the opposite side, conversely, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This is a warning. He says, hey, if you hear my words, 
Respond, do, obey, receive them. And can I just tell you, these things build on each other. I'm not telling you that I expect you to go and obey the word of God if you have not experienced the freedom of God, right? When you experience and you know the freedom that Christ gives, that then leads us to a place of wanting to obey the words that Christ has instructed us with. And so if you're finding it hard to obey the words that God has given, maybe you've never fully received the freedom that he offers. Do you see the connection there? Because I think that's what was happening is they were trying to legalistically, they're, they're ritualistically, like, you know, they're following the law and they think that just doing the law is going to save them. And he's like, no, no, I came to set you free from all of that. And now it's like, well, why would I want to do anything else? Like that's where true freedom is found is in living in the way that Christ commands and in the way, way that God intends, the way that he made me. And so I experienced true freedom by obeying the things that God has said. And so can I just, again, warning today, warning right? Can I just warn us, are we, are we doing all the things that we know we're supposed to do? Is there something that we're leaving out? For him who knows what is right to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Is there something that we are failing to do? Failing to do the words or obey the words that God has called us to is a failure to follow him. True following results in obedience. Let me just ask you again, where is it that God has called us to a humble submission, a humble obedience in our life that we need to respond to? I think all of us have something that we can grow in, right? All of us have an area that we can be more obedient to. And do we do that to earn more of God's favor? No, he can't love you any more than he already does, right? If you are in Christ, you cannot be more free than you already are. There's nothing that your works are doing to add to the work that Jesus Christ has already done. But it is out of that freedom, out of that grace, that we then respond with humble, gracious obedience, knowing that it is the best thing for us is to obey that which he has given. Let's continue on. Let's see what happens next. He's fighting, right? Fighting words. Verse 48, Jesus answered him, or the Jews answered him rather, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan? That was a racial slur that they're kind of using it there. You're a Samaritan and you have a demon. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, remember, listen up, right? Listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will never taste death. They were blown away by this. They didn't understand this. They said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died. The prophets died. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham that died? Than the prophets that died? Who do you make yourself out to be? I love that. They're like, John has this throughout. He's like, hey, do you think you're greater than Abraham? Do you think you're greater than the prophets? Like, who do you think you are? And he's like, yes. I do. I do think I'm greater. I'm the son of God. I'm God. Like, that's what he's kind of getting at here. That's what he's showing here. And he's, he's making a promise. He says, listen, in me, in, in my truth, you will not taste death. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say. He's like, listen, I am worthy of the glory because my father glorifies me. He is our God, but you have not known him, and I do know him. If I were to say, I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. 
Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. He's like, why are you not rejoicing? The day that Abraham longed for is here. He's like, you're missing it. They don't understand it all. Look at what they say. They say, you are not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? He said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. It's like, I predate Abraham. I, I was around way before Abraham. They didn't understand it all. So they respond, not in honor, but in hate. They picked up their stones to throw at him and Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And this is the third way that we fail to follow is we fail to honor God's son. We fail to honor God's son. And as I mentioned, these things build on each other. When we receive God's freedom and we obey God's words, we then respond in honor to God's son. It's really hard to honor God's son if we fail to obey and fail to receive his freedom. It all begins by receiving the freedom, the, 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 the being set free from the captivity of our sin, then we are now free to honor. We are won over by Jesus to honor him in the way that he is. And so can we just do this? Can we remind ourselves of why we honor Jesus Christ this morning? One of the things we say around here is that we, um, we, are, we are unapologetic and unashamed in our worship that we lift high the name of Jesus Christ in worship. Why do we lift high the name of Jesus Christ in worship? Well, I want to go to two of my favorite passages. We look at these often, but these are some of the most succinct passages that remind us about the person of Jesus Christ. The first is found in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. It says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It's like, you know, He is. He is the image of God. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. What is included in the all things? <laughs> all things, right? And so you, you were created by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. Every plant, every rock, every tree, every, the, the sunrise that you see, the clouds that you see, the, this weather that we're experiencing, it was all created by God. For what purpose? to bring him glory so that it would show him honor. It says all things were created through him and for him. More than that, it says in verse 17 that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. That means he is sustaining it. He's upholding it by his hand, that he is the reason that this earth still spins, that the atoms don't explode, that, that, that our world has order, all of it. Jesus is sustaining it. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That means he is most worthy of praise above all other creatures, all other things. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is who Jesus Christ is. This is who they were failing to honor. And Jesus is like just trying to get their attention. He's like, hey, do you not see you are not honoring me. God, the Father, glorifies me, and you are failing to glorify and honor me. Let me show you one more passage just to be reminded, if I can just drive it even further. Let me beat this drum a little bit more here. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 11, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who is Christ Jesus? Well, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He laid aside his garments of heaven, Right? emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. He was born as a baby boy. 
Being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God became man. God dwelt among us. God put on skin and flesh, and he lived here. He walked this earth. Therefore, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the, to, uh, to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, because God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The reality is this, is that we have been made to worship the one who made us. And we have been called to honor the son of God, Jesus Christ. When we fail to follow, we fail to honor him. Our failure of following is a failure to honor. The reason, let's make no mistake, the reason that we gather here every single week is to honor the son. And this is not just the only time. I mean, as you wake up, as your day begins, would you begin it with honor to the son? Throughout the day, as you see the hand of God at work, as you see the fingerprints, the, the working of Jesus throughout your day, would you honor the Son of God? Would we honor him in all that we say and do? See, what we're doing in that moment is we're claiming him as my Lord, my Savior, my God, right? We're declaring that in, in that way. What's happening here is they're saying, no, no, you are not my Savior, right? You're not my God, you're not my Lord, uh, several years ago, it became a phrase around this country. It was when Trump was president. There was many, many people who would kind of tout the phrase, not my president, right? People were rejecting Donald Trump as president. Now, I'm not making a commentary on him and his character or anything else or his quality. I'm not saying anything about that. All I'm saying is that he held the office and there was people that were saying, hey, that's not my president. Failing to acknowledge the fact that they live in a country which has some pretty incredible rights that gives you the ability to even say that. Do you know that there's many countries today that you can't say something like that? Like you would be locked up, you'd get your property taken from, like this isn't like things we read about, this is things still happening today. Yet here we have the ability that we can choose. See, I would say similarly, similarly, God, God has given us the ability to choose, right? To choose. And so you might, like, whoever in office, that phrase has continued, doesn't matter if it's Trump or Biden, whatever, people are saying, hey, that's not my president, right? I'm choosing to not acknowledge that as my president. We've got a, like, tumultuous year ahead. We know that this is election year? You guys know that? You aware of that? Who's ready for it? Woohoo! Yeah. No, we're not. We're not ready for it. I'm telling you, we're not. It's not a fun time. It's just not. It's not. That's not what I'm getting at. Don't miss the point of what I'm getting at. I bring it up because it's a charged thing, right? Like, who are you to say that? Or, or oh, of course, yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Like, we choose who we accept, who we reject. Here's the thing. I, does Scripture care about who you, how you regard and honor the person in leadership? For sure. But you know what's even more important? How we honor and regard our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, I think for some of us, we say, that's not my Lord. That's not my Savior. That's not my God. The reality of scripture says this, that there's a day coming when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some will be against their will. Some, their time of choosing will, will be over. And you're gonna see with full transparency, with full understanding that it is. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, this is the time. Now is the time to choose. You are my God, my Savior, my Lord, right? We're receiving Jesus, we're receiving Jesus in this. 
John forecasted that this was going to happen all the way back in his prologue. We looked at this the very first week. In John chapter 1, uh, beginning in uh, verse 9, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people, and they did not receive him. That's what's happening right now. They're rejecting him. They're rejecting the light that came into the world. Yet, what are we called to do? We're called to honor and to receive. Verse 12, it says, but to all who did receive him, who all who did believe in him, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Listen, we have been made to honor our Savior. Can I just be super, like, super clear? Is that it's a choice that all of us are confronted to make. Are we receiving Jesus as our God and our Savior? Jesus is not mincing words here. He's saying to reject me is to reject the light and to continue to walk in the darkness. Failing to follow me is to remain in the darkness. But I am inviting you to be free, to receive this gift of life, which he purchased through the forgiveness and through the forgiveness of his sins, which he purchased by the blood of his death on that cross. This is how we honor. This is how we worship him. We submit to him. We draw near to him. We reflect him. We follow him. We love him. We dwell with him. We walk with him. We honor God in these ways because he is worthy of it. And so listen, if we're gonna follow Jesus, it looks like that. It looks like receiving the freedom that he's given us. It looks like then a responding in obedience to the words that he's given us. And it looks like an honoring of him above everything else, above all things. We put him in the place of prominence, understanding that he is our Savior, and our God. This is what it means to follow after Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your son. Jesus, we thank you for your work on our behalf, God, your work on the cross. Jesus, we honor you here in this place today. God, we give you praise and glory for what you've done through the work and person of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for the freedom which you have purchased on our behalf. Lord, we're reminded even as we go to your communion table today, God, we are reminded that this is a gift that you've purchased by the blood of your son, Jesus, that you have set us free And it was a purchase, a price that you paid. It was a costly price that you paid. It was your own blood, your own body broken for us, your own death. But God, then through your resurrection, you you defeated the grave and you won for us the victory and life. And so Lord, we put our trust in you. We know that there is nothing that we can do to honor you in and of ourselves, that our sin God prevents that, but in Christ, Lord, we are set free. In Christ, we are able to honor you. And so, Jesus, we thank you for this truth. Lord, we declare this to be true today. We believe it with all that we are, all that we say, all that we do. Lord, we lift high your name here in this place. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. The way that we're going to close our service today is we're going to respond and reflect through communion um, what's going to happen is our team's going to come and they're going to hand out these trays. And in the trays, there's going to be um, two cups. You can take them together. Uh, one tray has um, uh, juice, which represents the blood of Jesus. The other has a little piece of bread, which represents God's body, Christ's body broken for us. 
And we take this, we do this as a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. And so if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are invited to receive communion today, reflecting, remembering, this is the price that he paid to purchase that freedom that we talked about. If you don't know Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's okay. We're just glad you're here. I want to invite you. Today could be the day of salvation. You could receive this free gift of life today. But if you're not ready to make that decision yet, just let that tray pass. You don't need to take that. You don't need to receive that. We pray someday you will have something to remember and you too will take it. But this is for those who follow Jesus Christ to remember the work that he has done. So go ahead and hang on to it. As it's coming around, you can just reflect, remember, think about all the ways that Jesus has purchased that freedom through his sacrifice on the cross and then we'll take it together. So team, you can come now and then we'll respond together. You know, the good thing about a warning is that uh, (laughs) they're not always fun to receive but they're really helpful when we do, right? Like imagine that hot pan comes out and you know, your friend says, hey, don't touch that, that's really hot, that just came out of the oven. You're like, thanks for telling me, I was about to, I really wanted to, I was gonna grab it with both hands and because you told me, now I'm going to do something different as a result. So my hope is, is that as we hear and heed these warnings that we see in scripture, uh, that we get to change, that we get to respond, that we can avoid some uh, unnecessary uh, heartache, some pain, and ultimately, uh, again, bumped up, bruised up shins, walking around in the darkness. Uh, That's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to give us a warning there. So as we go from here, let's be thankful that he warned us and heed the warning. Let's follow him, leading us into the light, leading us into the life that he offers. And this is the chorus that we get to sing. We have been set free. And so we are free, free. We are free indeed in Christ. That is a great and glorious truth. Amen? Amen. So let's praise God for that today. As we go from here, uh, if you need some prayer, know that we would be more than willing. We'd love to pray with you. Have a great week. Enjoy something outside today. It's beautiful out there. You are loved.